0: I really think one of the most terrible things that we can experience is hopelessness. To have a feeling of of actual hopelessness. And when I say that, I don't just mean that you're losing hope. Because you notice there's a difference between you can, you can hope for something and whatever this outcome is that you're looking for to happen in your life or in the world situation or whatever it is, there can be times where you think, hey, odds are pretty good. And then later on, odds are getting worse, 50-50, or, ooh, it's down to 10%, or, wow, there's only a sliver of chance this is going to go the way I want it to. But even then, you can still be hoping that, well, at least there's a chance at least there's a, a, a small hope is better than, than nothing that this will turn out the way that I would want it or hope that it would go. But there comes a point sometimes where even that last little sliver of hope just gets extinguished. And you realize all that you've been hoping for in this thing is, is just gone. It is not going to happen. And that can be a feeling when you have that. That, can be, that is just soul-crushing. To have something that you have placed your hope in, to just be snuffed out like that, it is a, a terrible feeling. And maybe there are people here that have felt that or are feeling that now. Uh, there are those in the world that are, that are experiencing this in one way or another. We are in the book of 1 Peter, as I said, and I, I do hope that you have it open in front of you. And last week when we started, uh, we saw that Peter was writing this letter to Christians who were exiles. He referred to them that way, and we realized that this might be people that are literal exiles. It very well could be. That maybe it is uh, Christians who were evicted from Rome and had to settle in other places uh, in the Roman Empire, in northern Asia Minor, a place that these places that he says is written to. Uh, so it could be other types of exiles as well in a literal sense. They're displaced from their homestead. We said that no matter what, it seems that Peter is writing to both them and to us to help us to realize that no matter our situation, Christians, we are always exiles in this world. We, there's a reason why we feel displaced, even, in your, even if you are in your homeland, that this world, in a sense, we we're alienated from it. This world, at least like it is right now, is, is not our home. There are things that are not right. We don't fit in. There's a sense of alienation. And if this was originally written to people that were literal exiles, you think of the things that they would be feeling hopelessness about, or at least they could be, that they had left behind, maybe their family, that they realized they'd never see again. Their their homes, their possessions, whatever they thought their inheritance was for the future and all the uh, land and their community, it was it was gone. And there was this... Threat, this fear, this working in the heart of, of hopelessness. So whether it's them or us, God inspired Peter to write this letter to exiles like them and to us to give us hope. First Peter is hope for exiles. Okay, It is written for encouragement to us as we look at this. So let's read First Peter. Today we're reading chapter 1, 3 through 5. are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This, this is a passage that this soars with God's promises. We'll look at this in two parts. We're going to look at, just uh, focus on verse 3 first of all. And in verse 3, we're going to see this truth. Christian, you are born again into a living hope. Because of the mercy and the power of God, born again into a a living hope. This past week, on it was Monday, and I had been reading all day, and I decided I got to get out and I got to go for a walk. I just I need to get some need to get some exercise, get out of the house. So I bundled up and and went for a walk. We live a few miles outside of town, and so just some nice country roads, and walked around. And as I'm walking down this this one street that I drive by plenty of times, I looked and I noticed a tree. Isn't that amazing? Like, Pastor, wow, you saw a tree. This is thrilling. And I spent time time looking at this tree. There was nothing especially different about this tree. there's lots of trees out where we live, plenty of trees. But I, I just stopped and I looked at this tree. And it just hit me how there was, you can think of just trees, but I was looking at this tree. And it made me think about the fact that I mean, we have lived at a house that we live in uh, since 2001. And there are roads that I have driven hundreds and hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times. But sometimes when you're driving, you, you don't notice the same things. That you're focused on maybe the big picture. Okay, turn up ahead. I have to, I have to turn up here to make sure there's nothing in the road. Nothing jumps out at me. Uh, you know that there's trees, you know there's houses, uh, but you don't really think about how many are individual ones. But I have had times when we've gone uh, on a bike ride in some of these same roads that I've literally driven on hundreds, if not thousands of times. And I remember the one time I was biking on uh, State Road, kind of out by our, our house, and I noticed, huh, there's a little tunnel under this road. And I looked at the tunnel and noticed a little gate, and I realized, oh, it's a tunnel, so that the the farmer can get his cows from this field under the road to the other field without being hit by trucks on, on state road or cars. And I should have seen this thing, but I just, I didn't see it for the longest time. But biking, just noticing different things. And I realized, not even just biking, but then if you walk, I'm noticing even more things. Noticing, here's this individual tree. It's a fine tree. And I look over, oh, this tree is falling down. And you start to notice, oh, there's a house back in the woods over here. And how many individual houses and what they're like. There's a little stream and it's flowing this way. The reason I say all this, so often when we do read scripture, we're reading it as if we're going 60 miles per hour down the road. Okay? And we're seeing the big picture, and that can be good. It's good to know the big landscape of things and to know the major turns and intersections. And sometimes, you know, we read it until something jumps out at us, like a deer jumping out at us. And maybe you've started a, a Bible reading commitment for this year. That'd be a great thing to do, you know, try to read through the Scripture in a year or two years. But to do that, you have to be kind of, you have to be clipping along. So that can be good to get the big picture, but we also need to slow down. We also need to, you know, get on a bike or start walking through Scripture so that we can... Uh, take a look at the, the individual trees, so to speak, not just even individual verses, but phrases and words, and think about how important they are. You know, a good discipline uh, that you could try if you have trouble slowing down and focusing on individual things would be to get yourself a journal and start the practice, just try it, of maybe start it with 1 Peter, of writing out by hand uh, that letter of scripture. Now, I know we live in a cut-and-paste world, and it seems silly to do this, but what that does is it forces you to slow down and pay attention to each verse and each phrase so you don't miss it. And maybe take a journal, maybe put a line down the middle, write out the passage on one side, and then you have the other side that you could write your observations or insights that God is showing you through the text. So what we're going to be doing in this message, we're going to try and kind of slow down you know, at least a bicycle speed, if not, if not walking speed, and, and look at some of these individual phrases in this awesome passage. So verse 3, as we think about this, it starts with this phrase, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is being directed to, to, to God the Father, we see here, again, we're going to be seeing in this passage the, the members of the, the Trinity, the Godhead. There's one God, but there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, but the three persons have always been in relationship with each other in this way. Uh, just this uh, amazing, mind-blowing God that we serve. But notice the very first word, blessed be the God and Father. Blessed be God. We are going to be seeing a lot of things in this passage that I hope and pray will encourage your hearts. That as you are dealing with needing hope, as you are needing to have comfort now or in the future as you store up these truths, there's a lot of this that is for you. But we need to realize that no matter how many encouraging and wonderful things there are here for us, this is for God and for his glory. And even though we think about our salvation and being born again and inheritance and all these things that are talked about in the passage, we are not getting the point if we view it as for us instead of this is for for God to be glorified, for his glory, his renown to be put on display, for the praise of our, our hearts, not just as a church, as we here are the praise team, as we worship together, as we should and we need to, as we essentially need to, but as you go throughout your week and you go into the world and day by day that your heart is treasuring the Lord God and appreciating what he has done. He has put himself on display through the things that he has done and communicated. And we want to we praise these things. So this passage will give us great encouragement. But remember, it's for the praise and the glory of God ultimately. So it, it starts off and says that. And then it says, according to his great mercy. So even before it talks about being born again and salvation and all these things, r- notice that phrase. It's saying all of this happens according to his great, what's the word? Mercy. And think about what it doesn't say. It doesn't say according to his great justice, God has given us these things. People want justice, and it, uh, according to his justice, or his fairness. You know, kids are always complaining, this is not fair, this is not fair. This passage does not say according to God's great Fairness. He has caused us to be born again. And there's good reason for this. If God were to give us justice, if God were to give us fairness, what we deserve, that is not what you want. Okay? You, uh, <laughs> we might want justice in the world. We don't want justice for us. We want, we want God's mercy. Because the Bible says that we are sinners. It says the wages of sin is, is death. And even if you're the best person here, the most squeaky clean, the Bible says all have sinned, and we are sinners. If God were to give us justice, we would get condemnation. So we praise God that all of this that we're going to be seeing, this is from God's mercy, his grace, his love. This is not what we deserve. We are saved by God's grace alone, not by our merits or any human effort that is from us and it says not just his mercy it says his great mercy he's not just a little bit merciful to us we're not just little tiny sinners that need a little bit of mercy we're we're big sinner rebels against god and god is even more merciful and gracious than we are rebellious and sinners praise god for that then it goes on and says, He has caused us to be born again. and says to a living hope. <laughs> As I've been kind of making my notes, I kept having to change them because I realized that so often when I would write the word hope, I would capitalize it accidentally uh, because my wife's name is Hope. And so I just, and I realized in the notes here, I, I did that again. Um, I do realize technically uh, my four kids were Born to a living hope. Um, that is technically true. Uh, <laughs> they weren't born again, though, to, to a living hope. And see, that's where the difference is. T- this says he has caused us to be born again. And so there's physical birth. And if you're here right now, um, you know, unless you're in mommy's belly, it means you've been, you've been born physically, Okay. And so if you have, every, everyone that comes into this world has been born physically, but not everyone has been born again. And we're going to see the importance of, of being born again. There's physical birth, but then there's spiritual birth, and that is what this is talking about. Before we even get to that, notice it says, He has caused us. God is the one that has caused us to be born again. When we think of our physical birth, You know, we can't take credit for that. You know, uh, we think of, you You didn't cause that to happen. Um, You know, we have birthday parties, and you give a birthday cake to the the birthday person. You know, good job being born. I was thinking about this, and realized, who should really get the birthday cake every year on somebody's birthday? I think that cake should go to mom. I mean, she was doing the work there for this. Uh, I mean, for us, you know, dad has his part, too. But on, on that day, mom is really putting forward the labor, okay? But, you know, in the same way, we got to realize our being born again. Also, that spiritual birth, that is not from us. That is not from our power. That is, that is God causing this to happen. So it's by his mercy, and it's by the power of God, too, causing this. It's a miracle to be born again. It's a, it's a work of the Spirit of God. It's a supernatural thing. And it's according to his uh, power. So we think about what it means to be born again. As I said, if you're here, you've you're been born physically. But to be alive to God, you need to be born a second time. Not just a physical birth, but a, but a spiritual birth. To be made alive to God in, in that way. There's a famous passage, this isn't the only place that talks about being born again. And maybe you know that there's a pretty famous passage in John chapter 3 that talks about being born again. And I'll tell you this, Peter is not getting this from the Gospel of John because the Gospel of John wasn't even written here. Peter is getting this teaching about being born again. He's getting it from the same place that, that John got it from. He's getting it, they're both getting it from Jesus, Because Jesus is the one that taught that you must be born again. And so in that passage, I'll just read it to you. It's John 3 and 1 through 8. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus is saying, unless you're born again a second time, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. That's, you, you don't have salvation. You don't have eternal life. You're not going to be with God in, in heaven in, in glory. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. So we see that the Holy Spirit is is the agent. He's the one at work causing this new birth to happen. Jesus says, Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Hear those words. If, you, if, if you've not been born again, if you're not sure of that, Jesus says you must be born again. Have you? And then Jesus says the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is supernatural work of God that causes and, and generates new life, spiritual life, that we're dead in our sins, and God caused us to become alive. Scripture is where we get this from, but in the uh, FBC's doctrinal statement, there's a good statement that I think summarizes a lot of biblical teachings on the new birth. I don't want to just read this to you because I think it's very helpful. This is Article 10 in our doctrinal statement, Grace in the New Creation. It reads, We believe that in order to be saved... Sinners must be born again. So we're all sinners, but if you're going to be saved, if you're going to spend eternity with God, you must, like Jesus said, be born again. That this birth is a new creation in Christ Jesus. That it is instantaneous and not a process. This means you can't be half born again. Okay? I mean, God might work in your life to help you draw closer to Him, but there comes a point where. You're either born again or you're not. Same way that you're either born or you're not in this life. Uh, so it's, it's something that happens uh, instantaneously when it happens. You can't be half-born again. That in the new birth, the one dead in trespasses and sins is made a partaker of the divine nature and receives eternal life, the free gift of God. And that the new creation is brought about in a matter above our comprehension Okay, if we can't even really understand the wind and the weather and how that works, uh, we definitely don't understand how God works in our hearts to cause us to be born again and to, to, to come to him and to be changed and made a new creation. And the statement says it's not by culture, not by character, it's not because one person is better than the other, nor by the will of man, but wholly and solely by the power of the Holy Spirit, we saw that taught in John chapter 3. Jesus says the Holy Spirit is the one that does this. But, he, but not by himself. Because look, at, it says in connection with the divine truth. And that is biblical. We're going to see that when we get to 1 Peter 1 verse 23, we're going to read that Peter writes, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. That it is the, the Holy Spirit working in conjunction with the word that the Holy Spirit is inspired that causes faith to, to spark and to come alive in our hearts. So if you're evangelizing to people, I mean, this shows the two things we can't control. You can't force somebody to come to saving faith, but you can try to give them these, these two elements. You, we need to, we can't just live nice lives in front of them. We need to help them to see and show them scripture, the word of God, that this teaches how that we're saved and to use the word of God. But then it's, it's the Holy Spirit um, as a catalyst, activating it and working through it. These two things here, the word of God and the Holy Spirit that, that, that cause that spark, that cause that life. So when we're witnessing to other people, when we're evangelizing, you know, scripture says that one person plants a seed and another waters, but God causes the growth. So we can share the gospel we need to, try to do that in a, in a responsible and effective, appropriate way, and then you pray and you pray and you pray. You pray for God the Spirit to be at work in their life, to, to make that seed planted to, to come alive and grow, and sometimes it does right then and sometimes it's later on because he doesn't work on our schedule, but we pray and we ask him to do what we can't do and help, so that people, their hearts are, are changed. And it says, so as to secure our voluntary obedience to the gospel that, is proper, that its proper evidence appears in the holy fruits of repentance and faith and newness of life. These things produced by the, the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So we're born again, but it doesn't just say born again as we look at this passage in Peter. It says we're born again, it says to a living hope. I think we really need to slow sort down of and think about what this means. If you think of uh, it's not just a hope, but it's a living hope. So I thought it was helpful to think about. Well, the opposite of a living hope would be like a, a dead hope. And sometimes there are things where at one point it seemed like a living hope, you know, but now it's a dead hope. It's just it's straight on not going to happen. You know, at the beginning of the year, you know, you can hope that the Lions will go to the Super Bowl okay um it's theoretically possible but there comes a point if you don't the teams if you don't make the playoffs that hope is is gone it's just it's not going to happen this year Uh, in the same way right now we're in the nfl playoffs and if your team's still in it your team's alive for now but once your team loses you know all the hope you had it's just gone i mean it's just extinguished it's it's out it's a dead hope and so this is saying that the hope we have in Christ is not, it, it never will be a dead hope. It's always a living hope. It always remains. It never gets extinguished like that. But there are so many things in life that if we're hoping in these other things can be a, a dead hope, something that does get extinguished. I mean, it could be something that you're, you're hoping for a, a physical recovery in this life for someone. For yourself or for a loved one. You know, and there could be times where it looks like, okay, there's still, there's still a chance it could happen, and then at some point, and, and when God takes them, you know, well, that, that hope, at least in this life, is, is no more. You know, there could be other things that, you know, you're hoping for a certain job or a certain promotion, and at the time, it can seem like, hey, this is a live option. I got an iron in the fire, uh, but then there are times where the door closes, where you just, you get a No. And your hope there becomes a, a dead hope in in that specific thing. A lot of people have um, experienced a, a dead hope in you know the election and po- political processes. That at least for the time being, there are certain things that people hope would happen, which are just not going to happen. There's also uh, you know just personally, just in life, people hope for certain things. That you had aspirations for life. You you hope you had hopes and dreams. Uh, that you want to accomplish this or have this type of family or this kind of life. And sometimes you hit a certain part, time in life and you realize the, the, your age and you realize you know, where you're at. And sometimes you realize that, hey, unless somebody events time travel you know fires up the DeLorean, these things just aren't going to happen. If you have your hope in these things, your ultimate hope in something that can become a dead hope, it can lead to lots of disappointment. But Christian... This is saying that you don't have a hope like that. You have a living hope. And we're going to talk more about this when we get to the next verse, too. It's going to talk about the inheritance that we have in God. It's about our new life that we have. You know, we have salvation in God that starts now, a joy that we have now that can't be taken away from us. We have the hope of the glory of God. We have the hope of his glorious coming that jesus is coming back and he's going to reign and and set things right in this world there's so many things that are living and permanent hopes and then it says it's through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead i think we can't just skip over that and, and go on well what is the connection how does the resurrection of jesus christ deal with that well the fact that jesus not only died but that he rose from the dead you know, this, this establishes this, this guarantees all the hopes that we have that salvation is real. Salvation, our new life in Christ uh, is, is guaranteed because Christ rose from the dead. We think of the new life that we have, and resurrection. Uh, you could look at this in two different ways. Scripture talks about the same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is also what gives you Christian new life. I am mean, study Ephesians 1 and 2. It talks about that, the same power that raised Jesus. It also took us when we were dead in our trespasses and, and gave us new life and, and set us on high with Jesus Christ. That's something now, when you trusted in Christ and you experienced the, the new birth when you're born again. But then, even after we die in this life physically, there is also resurrection that is guaranteed that we know that we will have because Jesus is risen from the dead. And read 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about that. and 1 Thessalonians 4, that because Jesus is risen, we will be risen. And your brothers and sisters in Christ have departed, they will be risen. We will be reassembled back together, uh, physically, to physical life as well. Before we move on, I just want to make super clear some of the things we've said. And one... Is so important, we think about being born again, is that to have eternal life, you have to be born again. Uh, this isn't me saying this, this is Jesus that says, uh, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. We said that being born again, there's physical birth and there's uh, spiritual birth. You know, there's also, according to scripture, there's physical death and there's spiritual death as well too. In teaching a scripture, you could put it like this. If you are born once, I mean, if you you, you have physical birth, you were born once, uh, and that's all the times that you're born, you're going to die twice, according to scripture. Because there is the the physical death that you will have one day, and you don't know when that's coming, but it's coming. And then there's also the worst death, the second death scripture talks about, this spiritual death, that we're dead in our sins, and you will remain permanently dead, this, this death which is being cut off from the, the blessed presence of God forever, being condemned to, Scripture calls it the lake of fire. This is the second death. So if you're only born once, there are two deaths that you get to look forward to. I pray that you do not end up in that situation. May God be working in your heart through this message that if, if you don't have assurance of your salvation, that you would realize that no matter what a sinner you realize you are, and I hope you do realize you're a sinner because we are, that you realize that Jesus Christ came to, to die for sinners and he came to save sinners. And he has saved worse sinners than you. Come to him in repentance and faith and trust in him alone. So that you're born again, that you have eternal life. Because if you're born twice, if you've been born physically and you're born again, then you only die once. And that's if, unless Jesus comes back, then you can get out of that one too, if he comes back in time. But most of us, we're probably going to die you know, twice, or, but die once. You know, the physical death, but we won't die spiritually. And even that physical death gets undone when Jesus comes back. Another just huge application, don't put your hope in the wrong things. Okay? So many times, we're, if you're putting hope in things that can die, that can end up being a dead hope, you are setting yourself up for heartbreak. You're setting yourself up for disappointment. And I think that's why we see so many people in the world that are having such a tough time and with this now and other times too, because they're putting their hope in something that that can die. But if you have your hope in Jesus Christ and these things that are imperishable, that are living forever, you are never going to experience that type of disappointment. Because you will never have a hope that dies and goes away. So let's talk about that more in the the second point. So we read verses 4 and 5. And for this, we're going to say, I want to say to you, Christian, you have an inheritance that you can never lose because of the mercy and the power of God. We read it again. It says with verse 4, We've been born again. It says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So first of all, it's talking about an inheritance. An inheritance, you know, is, this is what you get from your, your, your parents, and for us, it's usually when your parents pass away and then you get, you know, their, their property, their, their possessions or money or whatever it is that they've, that they willed, that they've entrusted to you. Now, of course, it's a little bit different with this because, uh, you know, the, the Trinity isn't going anywhere, okay? He's not um, going to pass off the scene, and so it's not that, you know, God's going to be leaving and leaving us. Oh, he, we get heaven because he's gone somewhere else. But I guess what it means for us, it's the same way in the sense that uh, at the appropriate time, we will receive from our parent what he has pledged to give us. That's the inheritance. And so if you are a Christian, you have been adopted by God. And this means that you have a, you have a new father, Okay? So you've been you've been adopted by him as you've been born again, so you have your earthly parents, but now you have God as as your father adopted into his family and given this this inheritance. And if you had you know, if, if your earthly parents had nothing or were beggars or whatever, and let's say you got all of a sudden, you know, adopted by some multi billionaire, then all of a sudden your inheritance changes quite a bit. And so for us, you know, before you come to Christ, we're in the family of the devil, and once you're born again, you're adopted by God in and, and his family and receive his inheritance, and it's everything that, that he has for us, that he is sharing with us. So this is this amazing, huge thing. And then look what it says. It says that, look at these words, it describes it, that it is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And I think we need to slow down and look at each of these trees and think about them. They're kind of redundant, but it's to really drive home the point. Imperishable means not able to be destroyed. Okay, it cannot perish. If you have an earthly inheritance that you're looking forward to, maybe in the day, you know, you have this big estate or this home, but you know what, there could be a fire, and your inheritance is gone, burned up. Now today people would say, yeah, yeah, It's okay, there's insurance, so I'm gonna be okay. But you know what, there's people that you might think that you have this big inheritance from mom and dad, and they have all this money in the stock market or in the bank, but you know, the stock market could crash, the economy could implode, and it could basically be made worthless. It's a theoretical possibility. Or, you know, things that, you know, you have this inheritance you think you're gonna get, but the government takes it, or it just goes to the nursing homes, and that's kind of reality. I'm thinking about it, uh, you know, f- with my parents. Um, I'm not necessarily. I don't know or expect anything's going to be left at after the end when the, uh, all that happens. And so, mom and dad, if you're if you're, I know you watch sometimes, you know. Uh, hey, don't worry. I'm not. I'm not banking on it. Uh, <laughs> so, just go spend it. Okay, go on some vacations. Uh, you know, give some to to charity. Uh, just uh, Dad, buy a new TV for the living room, okay? I mean, I know you're frugal, but that TV is terrible. TVs are not that expensive, okay? So if if my inheritance, earthly, if it goes away, it goes away. Um, But we have an inheritance from God that is imperishable. It also says it's undefiled. That word for undefiled sometimes can be translated like unpolluted. It's the same word that's used in Scripture um, for Jesus' sinlessness in Hebrews 7.26, that Jesus is not polluted, he is undefiled. Uh, for the purity of marriage in Hebrews 13.14, from pure religion in James 1.27, this inheritance that we have, this is not legal gains. You know, this is not some money from a mob boss that you're getting. Uh, this is pure and undefiled inheritance. And also, it's, it's unfading. Now, Maybe you've noticed these <laughs> lovely flowers that have been here on the stage that I have. And, uh, or maybe you've looked at them and said, yeah, um, what's the deal with the flowers here? <laughs> uh, this past week was, was my wife Hope's birthday. Uh, she turned 29. And <laughs> so me being the ideal husband, um, okay, if she can be 29, I can be the ideal husband, okay? Let's keep this fantasy going. But among other things, I bought her some roses. She likes roses. And so they didn't look like this earlier. Okay, she was happy, okay? Um, If I think if I gave her roses brand new that look like this and were droopy like this, I don't think she would have felt incredibly loved at the time. Uh, But this is how they are now. Some are in okay shape, others are hanging their head. You know, these roses are basically, you know, right now on the escalator to the great beyond, okay? but these roses are, they're fading. And I say that because, you know, the same word that is used here for our inheritance being unfading is used in scripture uh, for things like plants and flowers. In First Peter, later on, we'll get to this, First Peter 5, 4, Peter writes, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory that these athletes, they would work and go to the Olympics to try and get not a gold medal, but this wreath, this victor's crown called a Stephanas. And it was this wreath of leaves, basically. And it would be nice for a while, and then it would fade away. Christian, God is telling you that when the chief shepherd, when Jesus appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory, part of what God has in store for you. And then it says it is... It is kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded. Think about that. Christian, you are eternally secure through the power of God. It's because of the mercy and the power of God. The word kept here at the end of verse 4 can mean reserved, watch over, guard, store. So God is the one that is guarding your inheritance. God is the one that's making sure that it's not stolen or taken away. And the word for guarded uh, can also be translated shielded or protected. And it's use of putting, that word in Greek was used of putting a garrison in a city to protect it from enemies. One translator writes, or commentator writes this, quote, the picture is that of a fortress or a military camp, They are within. Outside, the evil forces are assaulting them. But on the perimeter is the overwhelming force of the power of God. He it is who protects them. It is awesome. It's not you protecting, it's God protecting your inheritance, your salvation, your security forever. And again, we see the whole work of the Trinity in this passage. We see God the Father, we see God the Son. And even though it doesn't specifically mention the Holy Spirit by name in this, um, when it talks about the power of God, the Holy Spirit is more than the power of God, but the Holy Spirit is typically the one that brings the power of God into this world, that is uh, the one being this agent. And in Ephesians one thirteen through 14, it specifically talks about the Holy Spirit as the one ensuring your salvation. In that passage, it says, in him, in Christ also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, So this isn't for everyone. This is for those that have believed. You've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior from your sins. It says, And believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That passage does not say that it's guaranteed until you sin and blow it. That passage does not say that it is guaranteed until your faith starts wavering a little bit and then God yanks it away. It says that God is the one that's going to guarantee it until you acquire possession of it, until it's all said and done, until it's delivered and finalized. That's how secure, Christian, your salvation is. Now in Peter, it says we're being guarded, and it says through faith. We have to think, what does that mean? And like Ephesians 1.13 said, yeah, faith is involved when you heard and believed the gospel. That is when you were sealed by the Spirit. Okay, so this doesn't happen without saving faith, without you trusting Jesus Christ. The Lord is your personal Savior. You need to be doing that. But does this mean that you could lose your salvation if you lose your faith? That you, does this mean that you could lose your faith and lose your salvation? I say no. Because if salvation, if your salvation is guarded by God's power through faith, and that's what Peter's saying, it's guarded by God's power through faith, this means that God is the one who guards and maintains and strengthens and upholds and fortifies your faith as well. That your salvation is being kept, it says, through faith. But God is the one that upholds not only your salvation, but your faith. God preserves your salvation and he preserves your faith. He will be the one that will strengthen that, that will fortify it. He's the one that was there from the beginning and he will be with you in your faith all the way to the end. Because it says for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. There's a sense where your salvation, Christian, right now is not complete. There are passages that talk about salvation being past and present and future. If you're a Christian, you have been saved. Yep. There are also passages that talk about you are being saved and that you will be saved. That there's a future aspect of it because this is not as good as it gets. There'll be a time when uh, we're we're finally done with, with sin and everything in this world. There'll be a time when you are put back together in the resurrection there will be a time when Jesus comes and reigns. There will be a time when it's not only us praying and, and praising in faith, uh, but we actually get to see him with, with our eyes and be with him literally in, in his uh, literal physical presence forever. There's more to look forward to. There's the finalization of your salvation. And that's why this is hope, because it's something certain that we're looking forward to. When scripture talks about hope, it is different than the way that we oftentimes use the word hope. We talk about hope as something, I hope this happens. I hope my team wins. I hope this comes through. I hope, but it might happen or it might not. Scriptural hope, when it uses this, is a certainty. It is something that is guaranteed. It is something that is a, uh, is a, a sure bet. It is something you can anchor yourself on. It is different than the hope that the world has. And so if this is until the end times, until the time where it's delivered, it makes it impossible to think of God's guarding duty as ever coming to an end. It is not going to end, and it's definitely not going to end early. Two summers ago, we took, a, we took a family trip. We went out to, to Gatlinburg in the Washington, D.C., and when we were out there, we went to the Arl- we went to Arlington National Cemetery and to the tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and it was I mean, it, it, if you get out there, make sure you do this. It's a very moving experience, very powerful and 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 somber. This is an actual picture that I took with my with my phone when we were out there. What was also kind of neat is that, and I don't think this is him, but we watched the changing of the guard and the sergeant that was in charge of the changing of the guard ceremony. Uh, with Sergeant uh, Stuart Aspinall, who is, a, he graduated from TK uh, back in 2002. So just kind of this neat, this neat thing. Um, but the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, if you're unfamiliar what this is, um, after World War I ended, there were, several so- there were lots of soldiers that they couldn't figure out who they were. They were unidentified. And many they buried in France and in other places. Uh, some they brought back but to commemorate all the soldiers that they couldn't identify. um, They did this in October of 1921. So this is almost, okay, 1921, we're in 2021. This is 100 years ago. Uh, They started, they randomly picked four uh, soldiers that were buried in France, and they exhumed them, and then they had a a ceremony, and uh, they had an officer randomly pick one of the, they mixed them up and had them pick one of the tomb, one of the remains, and then they flew that back to the United States and uh, buried in what became known as the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Brought back November 11th, so a Veterans Day of 2021, the Unknown Soldier was given a state funeral and interred at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier in Arlington National Cemetery. The west side of the tomb features the inscription, Here rest in honor, glory, an American soldier known but to God. And later on there was, uh, you can see the tombs in front there, there was um, one from World War II and from Korea, and in the middle for a while was one from Vietnam, although they were able to identify the remains um, after a little while from DNA. And so then uh, that soldier was buried elsewhere and uh, that one is kept there, it's empty, but it's for all the soldiers in Vietnam that never came back even to be identified. Um, So it's just very, very sacred moving thing. And in March of 1926, so a long time ago, but um, soldiers from nearby Fort Myer were first assigned to guard the tomb. The guards were there really only during daylight hours. Basically, it started just to discourage visitors from climbing or stepping on the tomb. There were people that would come and have little picnics on it, and so they posted a guard there during visiting hours to discourage that. But then in 1937... It's a long time ago, 1937. uh, The guards became a 24-7 presence. So if you know this about the the guards for the Tomb of Unknown Soldier, uh, they are on guard there, and they have been since 1937 constantly. I mean, they work in in 24-hour shifts. There is always uh, the guard there that's walking. They do 21 paces. They pause for 21 seconds, turn 21 seconds, and walk back. And this keeps going on. Since 1937, Every day, every hour, every minute of every day, there's been somebody on guard, and this means it's not just during the day. When it's when we went there, it was really hot out, and they're in their full wool suits. Uh, by the way, even they work 24-hour shifts, and then when they're off for 24 hours, it oftentimes takes them eight hours to prepare their uniform for the next shift. And there's all just intense training. It's a just a high, prestigious, very serious thing to, to be one of these these uh, sentinels guarding this tomb. And they take it just amazingly seriously. And if the weather's bad, they consider it an honor to be out there. So whether it's 110, or whether it is, um, you know, during the day, or even the middle of the night when no one is there, there's still somebody at you know, 3 o'clock in the morning, there's, there's, they're, they're still guarding the tomb. 110 degrees up, middle of winter, 20 below, blizzard, they're still guarding the tomb. Then constantly every minute of the day since 1937 Christian as seriously as these guards take their duty to guard the unknown soldier God the triune God even more seriously takes his duty to guard your salvation and your inheritance and to keep you secure that is where your security comes from Christian Christian You are being guarded permanently, 24-7, by God's power, not your own. And Christian, you are not being guarded as dead. You are guarded as alive, having been brought to life spiritually, born again by the power of God. From beginning to end, your salvation and your security is from God, from his mercy and his power. At the beginning, you were born again by the mercy and the power of God. And all the way to the end, you'll be kept and guarded by the mercy and the power of God. So praise God and be encouraged. And Christian, have hope. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you all praise. All of this as we think of the, your great mercy, we think of your power and mercy causing us to be born again, giving us this living hope that is alive and will never perish and can never perish, the inheritance that we have, that you have stored up for us, that you keep and you guard permanently, all this, Lord, we give you praise. It is not from us. It is from you. And, Lord, we thank you for being at work in our hearts, drawing us to you. And we thank you for this. And, Lord, I pray for anyone here that has not yet put their faith in you for their salvation. Lord, I pray that you would work in their heart through the word of God and the spirit that you would draw them to you irresistibly, Lord God, and that they would place their faith and trust in you and be born again before they leave this room. You came to save sinners. It's the only type of people that you came to save. And you can save any one of us. Your grace is stronger than our sin. And we thank you, Lord God. Guard us and keep us. Give us hope.